When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow underway on the Monday edition. Reacting to another great football weekend. Live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Busy show. Bobby Carpenter joins us each and every Monday. We've recapped the college football weekend with the former linebacker for the Buckeyes and for the Cowboys. Dan Dockich, host of Don't At Me with us later this hour as well. Plus Clayton Safey. Uh, from the Wolverine.com, covering all things Michigan, what could the Big Ten end up doing with Tony Petiti on what we're continuing to hear and what continues to come out about Connor Stallions and sign stealing? A lot to get to today. A great weekend of football that includes Bama, LSU, Washington, USC, and much, much more. Plus, a jam packed day in the NFL with a four pack of games that was outstanding, Chad. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. I, I would dare say maybe the best uh, 11 a.m. Central slot for college football I've ever seen. With the games that came down to the wire yeah. in that 11 a.m. window, it was terrific. I, probably the best Saturday of college football I think so. we've had so far. And to me, by far the best story in the NFL of 2023 so far happened on Sunday. And it, it happened in a, a final drive with... He's doing it again, Chad. Joshua Dobbs traded, doesn't start this game like he did uh, last year or for Arizona this year, traded and comes off the bench because they have a rookie fifth-round pick who ends up with a concussion. And Dobbs does it and does it again, getting into the end zone last minute on a play that they didn't rep with him, that he didn't even go through in a walkthrough. He didn't take a rep in practice this week. But Joshua Dobbs wins the game for the Minnesota Vikings on the road in Atlanta. Five teams in less than a year for Josh Dobbs. Okay, let's just, let's just start there. On December 20th of last year, Josh Dobbs was on the Detroit Lions practice squad. Went to the Titans, started two games. Played well, considering the circumstances. 0-2 in those games. On March 23rd, Josh Dobbs signs with the Cleveland Browns. On August 24th, Josh Dobbs is traded to the Arizona Cardinals where he starts in week one and starts throughout the first part of their season, winning one game against the Dallas Cowboys in those starts. Halloween, October 31st, traded to the Minnesota Vikings. That was on a Tuesday. And by Sunday, he's entering the game early and eventually leading the Vikings on a 75-yard touchdown drive with less than two minutes left with some absolute Houdini-esque runs to keep the Vikings alive. One on a touchdown earlier in the game, one on fourth and seven that set the Vikings up at the 10-yard line. I watched this story, and I watched Josh Dobbs on the sideline practicing snaps and cadence with Garrett Bradbury, the Vikings center, and I think to myself, how can anyone not love and appreciate sports that here is the ultimate team game 
played by a group of enormous athletic men that are all striving for one goal, and it takes a guy that's traded the week of the game in a very complex sport, one in which he has not thrown a single pass, even in practice, to a player that he's going to complete touchdowns to later in the game, or any player on the Vikings, and it's that guy that joins the team and eventually leads them on the drive to win the game. I thought the Kevin O'Connell postgame speech was incredible. I've watched it five times. I love how he's talking about Josh Dobbs and saying, now let's let him hear you as he's walking into the locker room after he was doing interviews on the field. I loved every bit of it. Josh Dobbs, and we know the guy a little bit, he is so deserving of this moment. Seven teams throughout his career, never given a great shot. We said the moment he was traded to the Cardinals, here's his opportunity to at least show something as a starter, albeit with a bad team. You heard from Jonathan Hutton three weeks ago saying, don't bury the Vikings yet. This was with a healthy Kirk Cousins who was playing some of the best football of his career, even without Justin Jefferson. In that division, don't bury the Vikings yet. We had Armando Salguero on last week. I asked him about the Vikings. Is it time to bury them? He laughed at me and barely answered the question saying, oh yeah, bury the Vikings. They're dead. Guess what, everybody? They're not dead. They are very much alive. And at least for one Sunday, and I don't know what Josh Dobbs does from here on out, or if teams are going to catch up to the fact you might need to put a, a spy on him defensively to run the football, which they will. But for one Sunday, the Vikings were relevant, and Josh Dobbs was the hero as a starting quarterback in the league and a guy who was there for less than a week. Hutton, I watch this story, and I think, how can you not love sports? And I love talking about sports every day on the show Same. for stories like this. How can you not be romantic about the Josh Dobbs story in Minnesota and throughout his career? A guy who could be some sort of Fortune 500 CEO of, a, of an astronautics company with his major and his brain who's still playing quarterback in the NFL just because he loves ball. It's really that simple. He's no star player. He's never going to be a star player in this league. But for one Sunday... That dude was a star. It's incredible. Well, and I, I love the story of uh, that that he told, where O'Connell and uh, other offensive coaches came up to him as they're on the flight to Atlanta, asking him, "Hey, are you are you cool with anything? Is there anything you're uncomfortable with? What do you like? What do you not?" And he just said, "Hey, that, in the playbook, he's been studying the playbook, hasn't repped it. I'm cool with whatever we have in the game plan. I'll be able to execute whatever play that I've read through so far." And he did admitted that the winning touchdown pass uh, was one that they didn't even go through in a walkthrough with him, didn't even see it, uh, it, it as far as repped in person. And he goes out and does that against Atlanta, whose defense gets shredded again um, and has Arthur Smith on the hot seat for the Falcons. Chad, this is why they're not dead. They win. They're now at 5-4. and four, And their next four games are in this order. New Orleans, Denver, Chicago, and Las Vegas. Only, only the Saints, looking at their record, only the Saints have a winning record of that four-pack of games coming up. And you mentioned the player that they haven't had while they've been on this winning streak. It's Justin Jefferson. He's eligible to come back to practice starting this week if they want to start the clock on a 21-day window for him to get back to the active roster over a three-week time span. He could come back this week. He could come back three weeks from now. Uh, We'll find out later this week when he's going to return. But they're only going to get better in that department, much better 
with one of the best, if not the best wide receiver in the NFL. And now you have a guy who has been able to step in now in three different situations, did it in short notice with the Titans where he picked up his first win and his first start. Then this year with Arizona getting his first win and then does it for the first, only the second quarterback in NFL history to have three touchdown passes in consecutive weeks for different teams. The other was Bernie Kosar. So what we saw, we haven't seen in a long time. And Dobbs has done it on a day where we were looking forward to Mahomes and Tua and Prescott and Hurts and uh, Burrow. And it, it, we, we go on and on. Uh, and Allen, Lamar, and still Dobbs that leads the show today because it was that big of a storyline. Greatest well, performance I've ever seen? No. Uh, great story in 2023? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, one of the more, uh, certainly not the greatest, one of the more surprising performances, given the circumstances of being there such a short amount of time. I was actually watching that game live uh, when it started. I see Jaron Hall go down, and I'm thinking, Josh Dobbs is just funny, immediately taking the hat off the sideline and putting the helmet on and throwing. I mean, he looked like he was, okay, well, guess it's time to go in. But you knew that it was going to be very difficult. I sent you guys a, a tweet. Someone said, Josh Dobbs is the equivalent of the chef on Chopped that has to cook with whatever the ingredients are in the basket the moment they open the basket. That's Josh Dobbs in every quarterback situation he's ever been in. He's also earning a rep as the guy to trade for if you're in a pinch with a decent team. I know it's one game, but keep in mind a year ago, he had no time with the Titans, and he elevated their team. He was better than Malik Willis, who had been there all season. When he joined the team immediately, the Cardinals, the Cardinals are bad. They won one game with him. He didn't set the world on fire, but he wasn't the problem either. He did an admirable job considering the lack of time that he had. I think with his brain and his ability to process info quickly, Hutton, he's quickly becoming that guy. He's never going to be a star. I don't know that he's ever going to be a full-time starter in the NFL. Right. But what he's becoming is you keep him as the backup. And then if someone gets desperate because their star quarterback goes down and they're 7-2 and two, and they feel like they can keep it going, you're picking up the phone and you're calling the team that Josh Dobbs is on because Dobbs can come in in a pinch and possibly rescue everything going on. Well, I, it's the I'm now. all into this story. It's the trend now for him because he was signed off the Lions practice squad last year, December 21st, and started for the Titans on the 29th. Yep. And then they chose to start him uh, in a win-and-end situation against Jacksonville. They lose that game but they went with a guy that had been there for a, a week and a half instead of the guy that had been there for a full off season in a, in a backup situation. Uh, and, and the other thing, Chad, to keep in mind too, is we saw this in a glimpse from Baker Mayfield last year with the Rams. Yeah. It was a good and, two or three week story and with him. Well, but he had that fourth quarter comeback on the same week where he had been traded there Yeah, uh, or had, had ended up with, with Los Angeles. This is similar, except this was a steady quarter-by-quarter quarter progression, and then he has the game-winning drive as well. And also keep in mind, and give credit where credit's due, you have McVay in Los Angeles and O'Connell, who came from that coaching tree in Minnesota. Uh, this is not easy on the coaches either to get things ready for the backup quarterback who just got there after losing your guy who can get you to the playoffs in Kirk Cousins. You know, and... They played, and they're doing it without Jefferson. I think that's the other key. And they have Akers go down with an injury, with an Achilles injury in that game. Well, and they have no running game. 
I mean, handing the ball right. off is not an option because they're, they're not getting any push, any, any movement at all in the run game. Some of the quotes coming out of the locker room, too, I think Jordan Addison said it, it was a constant translation. He was getting the call, and we were helping him out where he would look to me and say, okay, on the right side, what's happening on this yeah. play with the play call? And then they, he would say it and then break and, and go play the play. <clears throat> Dobbs is the story, and, and all credit to him on this. But the flip side of this story the Falcons and the Falcons defense and not being you're you're starting the game against a rookie fourth round pick you knock him out of the game now you got a guy who's been there for five days and you lose and you give up a lead late that that's bad Arthur Smith shaved his mustache today <laughs> clearly in need of a change uh, that's a franchise right now that is headed in the wrong direction given the last two weeks the performance against Will Levis and the Titans in his first start, who lit them up with four touchdowns. And then Josh Dobbs the next week. Not a good trend for that Falcons defense. Not a good trend either for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, my big takeaway from, from week, week nine, the Dolphins have yet to prove that they're a true Super Bowl contender. Uh, two other teams did and, and have been doing so in recent weeks. The Baltimore Ravens and the, the Cincinnati Bengals. Miami, though, racks up wins against bad NFL teams. Cincinnati and Baltimore, they take care of business over a stretch run where they're facing the best of the best and they're in the best division this year as far as win-loss record is concerned. Miami's five wins this season have been against opponents with a combined record of 13-37. and 37. The Dolphins in those games have averaged 39 points per game. And in their three losses, they are losing against opponents with a, record, a combined record of 20-7. and seven. And they've averaged 17 points in those contests, in their three losses. And they had a season-low 14 yesterday in Germany against Kansas City in that defense. Their next six games, though, coming up, will prove to be, I think, the, the, the fool's gold. Because we're not going to really learn much about, okay, are they stepping up and are they able to beat good teams? Because over the next six games... They will face up opponents with a combined record of 24 and 25 currently. Then they finish against Baltimore and Buffalo. So are they going to be in it? Absolutely. But when this offense, for whatever reason, faces coordinators that have been there and done that, and those coordinators are also, by the way, facing an offense that has been there and done that and put up massive numbers along the way. But Spagnolo, McDermott, and Desai have shut down Mike McDaniel and the Miami Dolphins in those losses. The question is, when it's time to actually prove it, are they going to knock off Cincinnati or Baltimore? Because when it's time to prove it and show us in the regular season, they don't show up the way they do when they face bad teams that they boat race. They're exciting, but they're not great. And there's a big difference between figuring out the excitement level and buying into the hype, which I love, and actually showing that you can win the tight window ball games when you're not putting up 30-plus that no one else in the league is doing, by the way. The thing I do love, though, is McDaniel is admitting it immediately after the game and then again today where he's saying, hey, you know, we don't deserve all the accolades that we have, have received, all the praise that's been thrown our way. We've got to prove it against good teams, and we don't beat good teams. And because of that, I think Miami, Chad, 
is stuck in good, not great, just like the vast majority of the rest of the NFL. I'm with you. The offense certainly has greatness potential with the Dolphins, but they, they can't beat the good teams on their schedule so far. And McDaniel's approach to this is, to me, top-notch. Uh, some of the quotes coming after the game, you know, he even stuck up for his quarterback and said, look, I know what Tua's saying. And he said, and that's very admirable of him, but that, that's on me, the miscommunication on the third and 10 before the, the snap that got past Tua on fourth and 10. He says, I told my guys post-game, you never have to worry about me learning from a mistake. That is something that I'm going to administer every time when I make a mistake, and I've made a mistake with a few of these things in this game. I, I, I love them. Yeah. I, I'm rooting for them. But they got to figure out a way to beat the good teams on their schedule. Another team we can talk about later in the day, too, the Buffalo Bills. I don't know what the Bills are right now at 5-4 and four also. And keep in mind, they still have Kansas City, Philadelphia – coming up very soon on their schedule also. So where are they going to be by the time the Dolphins and Bills play each other again this season? Coming up, Bobby Carpenter will join us. Connor Stallions has resigned at Michigan. We'll dive into the very latest from the weekend there. Plus, Ohio State, are they really the best team in college football? And we'll compare it to the other results we've seen from big games this weekend. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sixth and Peabody are located with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Honey with our rolls on. Chad, whenever we come back and we're waiting on uh, radio as well, and we have the video on, what do you think? I didn't even notice the video was on. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't want you that. blowing your nose or sneezing or... Oh, well, there's no telling what I'm going to be doing we'll during do the break. We'll do a lot. So. We'll do a lot. Let's just... Uh, usually, I keep my shirt on the entire show. Yeah, there's a the one-minute warning for Chad. The moment we're done, I just peel it off. Yeah. So, we're usually safe during the breaks. Two games. Would be great, though, if one time I was just putting my shirt back on. <laughs> like, I take it off, but I just can't handle clothes. Just for the, go ahead and show everyone what you for do. For the entirety of the show, uh, we get to break and I immediately peel my shirt off. Then I have to put it back on. Chad, how many teams would go unbeaten with Michigan's schedule? Uh, I think the it's... The best team they've played so far is... I mean, who is it? They, I mean, schedule? they've been boat racing everyone. Rutgers? Probably. Have they played Rutgers? Um, I'd say yes. at least 40 teams could be undefeated with that 40. schedule so far. Okay, well... It's, it's as weak a schedule as you can get so, so far... Because they got Penn State and Ohio State coming up. How many teams would go unbeaten with Bama's schedule? Mm. I don't think anyone. Georgia, maybe. I don't, I'm maybe not even Ohio sure. State. I don't, I'm not even sure Georgia with, with the way Texas played early in the year. Maybe Ohio My State. Point, I'll, I'll give those teams credit, though, only because Alabama's toughest games have come at home. Tennessee, LSU, Texas, a loss. Their biggest road win is at A&M. Now Saban's getting the accolades mm -hmm. about the coaching job. And he wasn't last year whenever he's trying to make the case for the two lost tied, right? On last second losses on yeah. the last play of the game. 
we bring in Bobby Carpenter, Sirius XM Channel 84, and all things college and, and, and NFL analysis for us. Bobby, hear, hear me out. The greatest chance of any, any hope, if you're on the side of Michigan did something wrong, of keeping them out of the college football playoff is Ohio State needs to beat them head-to-head. Because a one-loss Michigan versus a one-loss Bama, let's just hypothetically say that for whatever reason, uh, Bama has one or two losses, and it comes in the SEC championship game, but Michigan doesn't play in the title game for the Big Ten. Again, all hypothetical. I think Saban has more support now than he did a year ago to make the case that this team uh, is much improved from the team that we saw earlier in the season. And I think everyone's kind of going with the tide right now compared to a year ago. I would say that you're accurate in that. Um, And I think a lot of it has to do, gentlemen, with expectations. And you look at Michigan, once they lost that game early in the season to Texas, opened the year, you know, Milrow doesn't play well. They bench him the next week. Like, are you going to keep playing Buckner? They're going through a little carousel there. It's not a great situation. Being played Ty Simpson a little bit. And then all of a sudden they get Milrow back and you know, they, they slowly improve. And this has been a team for Nick Saban that, you know what, the defense has been pretty good, but the offense is slowly getting better and better. And you know what, maybe they don't push the ball down the field and throw for 400 yards a game, but between Milrow doing it with his legs and running the ball effectively, and he throws the ball well enough that it allows their defense to play good, uh, good ball. And I think Nick has built this into maybe his most holistic team yet where they're not spectacular in one particular element but they're really good and play great complimentary football bobby you're right there in columbus give us the give us the 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 discussion the noise about michigan and their investigation about ohio state having connections to the private investigators that uncovered whatever information was on connor stallion's computer that the washington post had what's the latest there what's been the reaction and what do you think actually comes of all of this so there's a lot of a lot of stuff right there. Number one, as far as you know, the accusations that it was started, you know, by Ryan Day, I heard his brother. I, I'm not sure as to that. I haven't asked anybody. Um, I might try to dig in on that a little bit, but you know, I'll tell both of you guys. Like, I mean, if your wife has a PI that takes you picture has pictures of you coming out of the hotel with a, a hooker, like, are you blaming her for hiring the PI, or are you trying to maybe Defend yourself a little bit better, right? And I, I think. Let, the, let me jump. I I agree with you. By the way, I, I I'm. It doesn't change the facts, but it could affect the discipline based on anyone that's saying that. Oh, if it's obtained illegally, would that affect how Petiti or the NCA would react to Michigan? You know, I don't. I don't know how it would be obtained illegally because most of the evidence, at least that I've talked to, and you heard, to, you know. Walters for Purdue talking about this. They said, what are your thoughts? He's like, these aren't thoughts. These are facts. Right. Like all of these schools have information. So if someone said, hey, you may want to go back and check through your receipts and see if maybe something was ordered under one of these names and then see if people are sitting there. Oh, by the way, you can pick up on camera if they're videoing stuff. Like this isn't something where they like bugged somebody's car, at least not to my knowledge, if that's even what happened. And did this through like illicit means. I mean, it's all right there. Hell, you got him on the sidelines at Central Michigan. And when they didn't show you who it was within the first 24 hours, you knew that they were scrambling to try to figure out how can we spin this? Because, you know, guys, I mean, you're around college football enough. I I told someone I couldn't go down on the Ohio State sideline and get into the players box area and the coaches 
without a credential for that area. And those credentials are very tight. They have a list. They know who gets them. So like to think that there would be someone roaming around the sidelines at a, at a division one football program that doesn't have a credential to be in the player and coaches box. That, that is absolutely ludicrous to me. And so where does it all go? I know that there's 13 other coaches and I'm not going to speak for every one of them. Um, but I've talked to, you know, a couple of different programs here. Every, they're upset. Like, and it's not just like an Ohio state thing. Like you could hear it in Walter's voice coming into Purdue. It wouldn't have surprised me if he like didn't even want to play him. Given the fact you saw icy that handshake was, he talked about the difficulty of learning a new system. And I think all 13 other coaches, this isn't something gentlemen that just came about three weeks ago. I think they've suspected it. They've been trying to talk to people about doing something about it. No one has really taken the lead on it. Part of the, problem like last year Kevin Warren was probably halfway out the door but this isn't something that everybody just said oh wait this could be going on this is a situation that they were aware about and I think that they were looking into and that's why they have information going back a couple of seasons the the and this goes into the the bucket of here's why everyone doesn't expect anything to happen within the same announcement that he's resigning in order to take the attention away from him Connor Stallions his attorney puts out that Stallions admits that Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan staff had no idea about any improper wrongdoing that was going on with him scouting future opponents, which is also just a crazy at the depth that this goes, but, but how deep they've got to go to prove that anyone else knew about it. So the president of Michigan's out there lobbying gentlemen right now to say, Hey, you know, let due process play out. The NCAA, they're the ones that make the decisions because they know how long that's going to take. Uh, guys, like the evidence is all sitting there for everyone. It's, this isn't like a discovery process. And by the way, if you have evidence that's exonerating you and exonerating Jim Harbaugh and exonerating, you know, the staff and everything else, that this didn't happen or was very limited in scope, I don't know why you wouldn't reveal that publicly. Like it would, it would, go a long way in the public relations battle. The problem is I think Michigan's playing the game of trying to figure out exactly how much everybody has. So exactly what they can say, how they can weave this. It's kind of mind boggling to me to think that where we got to this, because I was very hesitant at the beginning. You guys remember me coming on because I didn't know what was true and what wasn't, but now I think it's so overwhelming and they're not even, here's the thing guys, they're not even denying the allegations. They're just saying, let it play out. How ugly does an already ugly rivalry get if Michigan is allowed to play this thing out with no penalties at all and they beat Ohio State again and they're the representative in the Big Ten championship game and eventually in the college football playoff? I think there's a lot of people hoping that that doesn't happen, at least the beating of Ohio State and being the representative for the Big Ten. Um, You saw what happened with TCU last year who they apparently didn't scout and were kind of up to date about the sign stuff. Uh, you know, it wasn't pretty with Georgia a couple of years before that. Like, it, it's it's a rough situation um, that they're in. And I know this, that there's no penalty. Like, I think there were overtures made on those conference calls talking about, well, if they're not doing, if you're not going to do anything about it, then why should we not do this? Like, if there's no, literally no recourse when we have all of this evidence and information, why should we fly a drone over their practice and then what? wait for the NCAA in two or three years to, to stop it. Like, it, it's just, it's ridiculous. Cause this isn't like, you know, you potentially made a phone call or they're potentially paid to recruit or something that could have happened before where you have to actually look into it. The schools are the ones who have submitted this information. 
So I think there'll be some very upset members of the Big Ten. And I feel bad for Tony to fatigue him. He came in here, he had to, first of all, deal with the Michigan, the uh, the terrible TV deal that Kevin Warren put together, which looked great on surface, but there's a lot of details missing. And now he's got this in his first year where you have one of your blue blood programs that, you know, there's overwhelming evidence mid-season and they're potentially a CFP, you know, contender here. Like, what I don't, what do you do? This is, it's unprecedented with this discipline. Like, you guys, I mean, you're in the state of Tennessee. Imagine if this came out with Georgia right now, you know, and you're sitting there like, well, what the heck? Like, this has been going on for two years. Like, and everybody in the SEC knew about it. People would be furious and they'd want something that was done, not two years from now, but done right now. And I don't know if you suspend them from, you know, the championship game, but I don't, I don't know how you could not suspend Jim Harbaugh based upon what the NCAA says that anything that happens in the program is the responsibility of the head coach. Somebody hired this guy. Like they were paying him. He wasn't a volunteer. Like what was he doing? How is he getting this? The fact that no one asked those questions is basically like what they tried to claim at Louisville with Rick Pitino, that I had no idea that this stuff was going on. Like, have a brain. You're getting paid $10 million a year. Like, there's no way you couldn't figure this out. Right there with you, Bobby. So, Washington stays unbeaten. Alex Grinch ends up fired. Caleb Williams weeps in the arms of his mother after the game. There's a lot to unpack from that game in L.A. on, on Saturday night. What's your biggest takeaway from what you saw? Michael Penix Jr. is really good. I mean, you saw some of the passes that he made, you know, moving around, you can throw them all over the place. Washington's defense isn't very good. They, they've they got some issues. And, I mean, USC, like, not only could they not stop the pass, but, you know, they were letting Washington run all over them as well. So, I mean, they've got a ton of issues. I don't – we'll see with Lincoln Riley, who he brings in. I mean, I, I don't know if he's just a really good offensive coordinator that can't manage a game. Because there's times, like, you look at Nick Saban, yeah, he'll go throw the ball 50 times when he needs to and when they can. But right now, like, they're not trying to race people up and down the field. Like, they know how they have to play. But you've got to kind of lean into that for your opponent sometimes. He's got to figure that out. Um, you know, I know the Pac-12 probably very happy because the last thing they wanted is, you know, USC to beat, you know, their, their undefeated squad because then you start getting in the battle of one losses and, that's never a good situation. So I know that at least the Pac-12 is breathing a sigh of relief heading into this uh, final stretch of games. A great example, Bobby, of just let the season play out is in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Uh, Mike Gundy, they lose. I think they're 1-2 and two at that point with a loss at home to South Alabama where they're not even that competitive. And now, fast forward, weeks later, they win the final bedlam. They're in position to possibly win the Big 12. What an enormous win for Mike Gundy in that program. It was a huge win. They did a great job. I mean, it was, I can't even imagine, guys. If there was one environment I wanted to be in this yeah. year, it would be that. I don't care who you're a fan of. Like, the final game of a rivalry since before it was actually a state. It was a territory. Like, And they hadn't had the upper hand, and it was in Stillwater. You, know, you get a chance to beat them back-to-back, get the walk-off, take your ball, and literally go home. And you know who else took something? That ref took that flag in his pocket, and he buried it real deep. When Stoops was running that little wheel route, the Big 12 knew what was going on right there. Because maybe, maybe they win, maybe they don't. But uh, it definitely looked like the Big 12 and whoever was officiating that game was leaning in at the end. But obviously a huge win for Mike Gundy, man. I couldn't be happier for the guy um, with the way everything broke out. You know, 
they deserved it. And we'll see, man, how much better they do. They might end up winning, winning the Big 12 here. Uh, final, exactly one minute here, Bobby. Uh, we've talked about the matchup Michigan-Ohio State. What about Michigan-Penn State upcoming? It's going to be a big one. And you know who else has a big grievance with all this? You know, James Franklin, he gets beat up because he can't beat Ohio State and Michigan. All of a sudden, that narrative changes a little bit when some of this stuff comes out. I mean, we'll see how well they look. Penn State, you know, they struggled against Indiana two weeks ago, looked really good again against Maryland. We'll see if they're more aggressive, push the ball down the field. I don't know if they win it, but I feel like it should be pretty close. Always great to catch up with you, man. We appreciate the time uh, each week at this time. And go get, g- grab you a garage beer and, uh, you know, have one on us. Absolutely, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah, there he is. Bobby Carpenter. How about James Franklin at Penn State can now be the savior of the Big Ten in college football by beating Michigan? Well, then the tiebreaker comes into play, right? They're with America's the sweetheart right deal? now with everybody hating Michigan with the scandal. <laughs> Uh, everyone's a, a Penn State fan going into this weekend. That They're the ones that can exact vengeance yeah. on Jim Harbaugh and now the unemployed Connor Stallions, who apparently you know, just was totally rogue. He's completely fallen on the sword. And, oh, none of the coaches knew anything about it. This was just me having fun with my Michigan manifesto, carrying out my plans on my own. Give me a break. Yeah. And all the canceled plans, right? There's a Give web a here break. that's much more than just a one-man show. We can get into this later. Uh, and we will with Clayton Safey of the Wolverine.com. When we come back, though, Dan Dockich from Don't At Me here on Outkick joins us. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow rolls on. Here on the Outkick Network, which includes Don't At Me with Dan Dockich each morning. You can catch Dan. Nice enough to have me on this morning. Great to have him on right now. Dan, good to see you, man. Hey, how are you? Nice to talk to you. Yes. Again. Yes. Uh, Is this uh, New Year's Day for you with all the tip-offs across college basketball? Or are you like us? It's just, it's difficult to see a schedule in November and really dive in. Yeah, I think it's difficult. I do. I, I get bored with a lot of college basketball. I'm not going to lie. I'm excited. My son's team, Illinois State, plays. Uh, but frankly, I think college basketball on a nightly basis is a bit dull. I, I do. I, everybody runs the same offense. I uh, So uh, from a, hey, look, I got nothing to do. Uh, let's see who I can bet on standpoint. Sure. Yep. It's great. There's like a thousand games, right? Uh, but in general, I'll watch reruns of Two and a Half Men, truthfully. I, I do. <laughs> or, uh, or something on Netflix, and then maybe catch the last five, ten minutes of a game. So, Dana, I love the video you put out there uh, when Coach Knight passed away, um, the, the, your first thoughts on it. Uh, we, we played it on our show. I, I think terrific remembrance of him from a guy like yourself who'd been around him for, for a long time. My question for you is, where consistently do you see people get it wrong when it comes to Bob Knight? When they talk about him, when they criticize him, or maybe even where they praise him, but where you knowing him as well as you know him, where people consistently are off on him? Uh, I think the number one thing, they talk about how complicated he is. He, he was not complicated. 
You know, I, I, uh, he wasn't. I mean, he was very simple, if you want to know the truth. He, he wanted to coach basketball, wanted to make players better, was focused on that. He wanted to fish. He wanted to hunt. Pretty much wanted to be left alone. Uh, but because he would get angry at the media, the media had to say he was complicated. It's funny. I, I love Tim Brando, and I love Dick Vitale. Uh, but they were talking about a story where Knight was a jerk to Brando. And Vitale had counseled him, right? He's just testing you. He wasn't testing nothing. Knight sometimes was a jerk. I mean, he wasn't testing anybody. He would get testy, act like a jerk, and then he would come back and feel bad. But I get a kick out of those things. Knight and I used to talk about it all the time. He's like, man, what's so complicated about just wanting to coach basketball, hunt, fish, uh, and, I don't know, hate the media? It, that's the number one thing. It really is. Uh, I'll be honest, if I was really going to be honest with you, uh, I never trusted him uh, because when I was a high school player, as a junior, I committed and they told me that they wouldn't recruit anybody in my class, six foot four to six foot six. I was six foot five or the class after six foot four, six foot six, which would give me a great avenue to play. Well, by the time I got there, maybe this was my fault. I don't know. But uh, by the time I got there, they'd recruited one kid in my class 6'4", one kid 6'6", and the next year they recruited another 6'5 kid. So I, I told them, I go, look, if I'm going to be an assistant coach, I'm not lying to players. You lied to me, and the assistant lied to me, and I'm not doing it. And he got pissed, I mean hot. But I, I just said, look, I, if you want to lie to him, then don't expect me to back it up because he would lie to him. And I didn't like it because it happened to me now. Uh, that's, you know, I get a, it, it, you know, I get a real kick out of a people. Oh, the most honest guy. No, 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 no. He knew how to manipulate everybody. And most great coaches do. Most people do. But uh, those are always the two things. I gave a talk in, in uh, Indiana. There's about 3,000 people there, and they got pissed because it was to coaches, right? And a guy asked me about Coach Knight. I said, look, you guys are all coaches, so don't ever lie to players. Now, you can piss them off, you can do whatever, but don't ever lie to them. Just don't lie to them because they may not say it. Like, I never said it until I was free and clear of playing, but there'll always be something in the back of your mind that they just don't trust what you're saying. And that was me, and frankly, that was my family. No one's really arguing that he was the best when it came to the X's and O's of the game. What area in your experience around him for as long as you were, Dan, made him so good at that? Is there a, a, an area that just pops to mind for you that Bobby Knight was the greatest in this area of the X's and O's? Well, I'll answer the first part of it first. He worked at it. Like, he had one of those minds that made you feel stupid because you'd think you had a problem, and he'd give you five ways to figure it out. And I'm very proud to say I learned a lot of that from him and back when I was coaching, I used to have coaches, some of the biggest name coaches in the country, actually the biggest names, would call me about a problem because I got known as like Winston Wolf, right, the fixer, because I learned that from Coach Knight to kind of think simply and logically and look beyond, we called it looking beyond your something, I'll call it look beyond your nose. Um, but that was the first part. He could really see. And the second thing is, guys, he worked at it. Like he, he, he and I would go literally into a film room at 10 o'clock every day, every day. I don't care if it was the summer, if he was in town, we would go down to this little room. We might play golf first at 6.30, but we would go into this little, it had, it, had, it was our locker room, the coach's locker room, had a, had a chair where he sat, a couch, a couple of chairs, 
And we would every day till about 2 o'clock, so 10 in the morning, to, and we would watch film. And we would turn the film off, you know, and he may make a phone call or whatever, but he studied it. And we would watch, you know, whatever team, the team that we're playing. The thing I think he was the best at was, and I never understood this as a high school player, he was so good at preparation. Fellas, when I went to Indiana, I played at a high school that never – I think the coach had been there 20 years and was 500, never had a Division I player. I didn't, uh, he brought up two guys ahead of me on the varsity as a sophomore, all this kind of stuff. And when I, I was a first scholarship player at my high school, and when I went to Indiana, I, I'm like, well, I don't know what a scout team is, never heard of a scout team. I, I didn't know what a walkthrough was. I knew none of this. And he, was, he introduced that, and he was so good at it that in a game – uh, no situations ever really caught him by surprise. And then, you know, let's say from, I don't know, let's say a game starts at 7 o'clock. I don't know, from about 3 o'clock till about 6 o'clock, we would watch film to figure out how we will not cause our team to lose. Like, that was a Bear Bryant thing. You cannot be the guy responsible. Your team misses a free throw. They, they turn it over. But it can't be something that you missed. And it, he worked it. He worked in recruiting, and it pissed me off, and we had a little fight over it. But he worked his brains off at, at what he called, we're going to work at basketball today. You know, I've read and seen a lot of tributes to, to Coach Knight, and I've been taking these little mental notes about a couple of ones I want to ask you specifically about. Uh, Jay Billis wrote a bunch of words about Bobby Knight and a guy that he loved. And he talked about why he loved him. He also got into a specific story about him chastising some local reporter and how he questioned him on it. And, and Coach Knight basically came back and said, well, I can't change now. Even though that was the wrong thing to do, I, I can't change now. The other one I read today was from Peter King, uh, who wrote, told a story about how Bobby Knight took him aside to calmly explain to him about cheating in college basketball and how it was running rampant when he was a young writer at the Cincinnati Inquirer and how he was calm the entire time and very intelligent on all of that, then goes on to write about the recruitment of Calvert Chaney and how he stole Calvert Chaney from one of his former players who was the head coach at Evansville at the time, which I had never heard that story either, Dan. Whichever one you want to pick apart there, or expound upon, please tell us about any of those stories. Well, uh, let's start with Cheney. Cheney, uh, we absolutely did that. Uh, Coach did that, no question. In fact, we sent a guy named Ron Felling, and I sent Coach Knight to see Calbert, and he shot like 2 of 17, and I can still remember it. I'm in my office on a Saturday morning getting ready for one of our meetings, and Knight comes in, and he is pissed. He's throwing things. Don't, you know, you two and Felling and I shared a room. Don't you ever send me to see a guy like that, blah, 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 blah. And we're like, yeah, all right. Uh, then Calbert and his coach came on a visit. An unofficial came to a game and coach wouldn't even talk to me. He's like, I'm not wasting my time. Calbert went to Purdue and basically Katie did the same thing. I mean, you're, all, you're nice to him, but the head coach is the guy that drives the bus Long story short, in the summertime, and this is probably illegal, I can't remember at the time, but there was an AAU team that, uh, it, this wasn't illegal, Coach Knight's son, Timmy, put together all the best players in Indiana, Calvert was there, and Ron Felling was watching the practice, and he went downstairs and he told Coach Knight, hey, I don't give a damn, you can fire me today, but if you don't go up there and offer Calvert Taney a scholarship, you're the dumbest SOB ever, ever. 
And uh, Knight hemmed and hawed, went up, watched, offered him a scholarship. But, yeah, Jimmy Cruz is one of the guys who made Coach Knight. Jimmy Cruz was uh, a freshman in 1973 with Quinn Buckner, Scott May, Bobby Wilkerson, Tom Abernathy. And they won, they went undefeated two years in a row uh, in the Big Ten, went 32-0 last undefeated team. They were the core. And Jimmy, Coach Cruz, was, the, uh, was a freshman starter on a Final Four team. And Coach Knight screwed him bad. Oh, he screwed him. He, uh, he tried to make up for it. He tried to – and it was – and Cruz – MF'd him and uh, it was bad. It was, it was, that's what I'm saying. You, you know, like, I love the guy. I, I don't, I don't, I didn't love him at the end. I didn't even like him. I didn't even respect him. But I can separate coaching and playing for him, which I loved from how he really was, certainly after I got done coaching and playing for him. Uh, so, yeah, he absolutely did that. What, what was the other one? Who was the writer in Cincinnati? Oh, Peter King said that he was very good about taking him aside and explaining issues around college basketball to him when he was a yeah. young writer with the Cincinnati Inquirer. Yeah, that, he must have just caught him on a good day, or he must have <laughs> liked Peter King for some reason. No, I'm totally being serious. You would not know on a daily basis what you were getting. Now, that's not complicated. That's just a guy with a temper – uh, you know, and so, you know, I'm sure he did that and I'm sure he did who, I don't know the name of the other reporter you said, but I'm sure he did that too. Like, here's the thing. He would do these things, be, treat somebody horrible and then go overboard to make up for it. This wasn't complicated. This was immaturity. This was like being, thinking you're God. And he would always feel guilty about it. He would, and he would, you know, the next day, see the guy go overboard, call him up, ask him to come in his office you know, make amends, that kind of thing. Sometimes I, I do the same thing, but that's just Catholic guilt. But the truth of the matter is, Knight, he was like that. I, every one of those stories, I'm sure, is true, uh, at least as true as Peter King or some other reporter can make it. But the Cheney one, the Cheney one was interesting, man. That's why I say, I hear all these people say all the time, you know, uh, why he's the most honest guy. No, uh-uh. I was when it came to basketball. We, were, we weren't going to we weren't going to cheat. I got called off the road in Canada and brought back uh, to Indiana because there was a rule you can only call a recruit once a week. And I did not know that our other coach had called a recruit. And I called him later on in the week. Long story short, I thought I was getting fired for something as simple as that. Hell, Illinois was getting cars for guys. Wisconsin, all these places were just cheating their brains off. But Knight wasn't going to do that. But in terms of honesty with play, uh, uh, you know, that's one thing that his buddies in the media uh, or, his, or his enemies in the media, hey, that, ain't, that ain't true. Uh, just a minute left here, Dan. What ultimately led to both sides, Indiana and Knight, making that 2020 evening happen? Well, I always said this, and I told Coach Knight this. I said, you'll go back to Indiana uh, when you're no longer Bobby Knight. He had to be Bobby Knight. He loved being Bobby Knight. He loved being the guy that people would see the airport and recognize or say throw a chair. He, he liked that. And, you know, he, he wasn't Bobby Knight anymore. His health had declined. Uh, people didn't care. I mean, people that knew him cared, but, right. the, you know, he wasn't Bobby Knight. And, and I remember my last conversation with him, which did not go well, in the basement of Building 4 at ESPN, I remember telling him, you'll go back to Indiana. Indiana. I go, hey, you'll go back to Indiana when you're no longer Bobby Knight. I can guarantee Indiana, uh, the people that were there were gone. Uh, you know, the, the, the AD there was a guy that was uh, uh, a former manager when I was playing, really good guy, Scott Dolson. So, 
uh, Isaiah and Buckner and Randy Whitman uh, got it done. But the only reason Knight went was because he wasn't Bobby Knight anymore. And he wanted, he wanted people to, you know, one last time. Dan Dockich is still Dan Dockich. Don't at me with Dan Dockich mornings here on the Outkick Network. Dan, always great, man, and uh, appreciate the, the background and the depth with the stories here today. Thanks, brothers. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dan. See you later. Yep, cheers. There's uh, Dan Dockich, the best. Coming up, Connor Stallions. And this isn't just a lone actor. We'll explain next. <laughs> 